We are glad you are here. And if you're wondering where everybody else is, so am I. No, I'm just kidding. A bunch of them are setting up for Canada Day. And for those of you who are visiting with us, those of you watching online, uh, on Canada Day, we do this huge uh, event uh, for our community, for our city and our neighborhood. And uh, so a bunch of our people are out there doing that. And a bunch of us are going to be there this afternoon. Um, and I just want to say that our children are with us today, so I want everybody, parents, grandparents, and those of you that don't have children yet, but will, and your children will be annoying then as well. Everybody just take a collective sigh of relief, and if there's a little bit of noise today, don't worry about it. So we're talking about O Canada. And I want us to stand together, and the text that I want us to use today is the text from Isaiah chapter 6, which is a very, very familiar text. Let's stand, and uh, I'm going to read the red, and uh, you're going to read the white, and we got 13 verses to read, and whoa, that is hard to see. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord lifted upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You've read that before. And then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a coal, burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go with for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go, and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, and their ears heavy, and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. And then I said, How long, O Lord? And he said, Until cities lie waste without a habitation, and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste. And the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again, like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, again, we pause just to say thanks. 
for your love that you have demonstrated so effectively, so vividly, so generously, so graciously in, through, and as Jesus Christ, and for the work and power of the Holy Spirit, that he today would enable us to speak, that you would give us ears to hear, minds to comprehend, and hearts to understand, and as we leave this place, And even this afternoon as we are on this property and into the evening and throughout this next week and over the summer, that, Lord, that you would help us by the power of your Spirit to live out what it means to be followers of Jesus Christ, what it means to be disciples of Jesus. And in his name, we ask these mercies in Christ's name. Amen. Why don't you be seated? So Isaiah, the person, the prophet, is a looming giant in the story of faith, and particularly in the story of the faith of ancient Israel. And Isaiah is one of those people that helped craft and shape the spiritual condition of an entire nation. And ironically, that we don't have much information about Isaiah sort of biographically or personally. All we know is his name for the most part and that he wrote one of the greatest books in the Bible, one of the biggest books in the Bible. Matter of fact, many people refer to Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, as being the Old Testament gospel. But our text that we just uh, read is one of those that give us probably the most comprehensive story that we have about the person Isaiah, and it describes a day when Isaiah is in the temple in Jerusalem, and he's worshiping. And it's not all that different from what we are doing here today. Worshiping. Focusing on God. Trying to be attentive to what God is saying and God is doing and hearing his voice. And the story begins with these words, in the year that King Uzziah died. Now, the words, in the year that King Uzziah died, is not just a date, but it is a point of reference. We often use significant events to sort of mark what we refer to as reference points in our history. For example, if you're old enough to remember of the Second World War and even the First World War, and of course we get our November 11th armistice from the 11th day of the 11th month on the, and, uh, on the 11th hour from the end of the First World War. The Depression, if you were, are old enough to live in the 30s, you know that the Depression was a big deal, and while I was born at this time, I don't remember it particularly, but in 1963, the death of, Mart- of John F. Kennedy, the President of the United States, is, is a reference point. By the way, he died on November the 22nd, 1963. Do you know who else died on that date? C.S. Lewis. There you go. Todd's house of useless knowledge. And then there's the land mooning, the landing on the moon, the moon landing of 1969. And I remember this. I was nine years old. One, one small step for man. One giant leap for mankind. By the way, it's a misquote. 
Actually, what Armstrong said was, that's one small step for a man. One giant leap for mankind. And then the Challenger uh, space shuttle in 1986. And yes, it's that long ago. And then, of course, 9-11. These are all reference points because of their significance. And the year that King Uzziah died was like that. It was a point of, it was a point of reference, and it was significant in that it marked a turning point. A turning point. Now, to understand why it's a turning point and why his death is a point of reference, we need to begin to understand his life a little bit. Now, Uzziah, King Uzziah, reigned in Israel for 52 years. Now, to give you some perspective on 52 years, in the last 52 years, we've had these people as prime ministers. Justin Trudeau, Stephen Harper, Paul Martin, Jean Chrétien, Kim Campbell, Brian Mulroney, John Turner... Joe Clark, and Pierre Elliott Trudeau, and Lester B. Pearson. Now, he was alive when I was alive, but all I know is that there's an airport named after him. But it's 1 Corinthians, sorry, it is 2 Chronicles, not 1 Corinthians at all, it's 2 Chronicles 26, verses 1 to 23, that gives us the fullest detail of Uzziah's life. And it tells us a number of things. First of all, it tells us that he began to reign when he was 16 years of age. He reigned 52 years. And the Bible says that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, that he was a righteous king, that he set himself, it says in verse 3, to seek after the Lord. He went to war with the Philistines and won. And it was one of the most prosperous times in the entire history of Israel, second only to the time of King Solomon. He had a well-trained armed force, and he was famous, and he was powerful. In other words, under King Uzziah, things were good. Things were well. But that's only at first glance. King Uzziah's death is also a time for truth. All is not well. Things look great on the outside, but on the inside, it was another story. Now, 2 Chronicles chapter 26, verses 16 to 21 tells us that what Uzziah, in Uzziah's mind, was royal privilege and entitlement was, in fact, inexcusable sacrilege. And this is what it says to us in 2 Chronicles chapter 26. But when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. For he was unfaithful to the Lord his God, and he entered the temple of God to burn incense on the altar of incense, and leprosy broke out on his forehead because the Lord had struck him. And King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death. He was excluded from the house of the Lord. Now that would be like somebody coming into here and taking spray paint 
and graffitiing all over the walls and over the communion table and over the pulpit and over the cross saying, under new management, I'm in charge now. And everybody in Isaiah's time knew what the name Uzziah meant. The name Uzziah meant for everybody caution. Danger ahead, watch your step. And so this is the connection between King Uzziah's death and Isaiah's vision. It was after King Uzziah died that Isaiah the prophet had a profound encounter, an overwhelming encounter, an overpowering encounter. It says that in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. And immediately followed, it says, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne in heaven, obviously. And the point was that the throne in Israel may be empty, but the throne in heaven is not. It also gives us another perspective that Isaiah sees God sitting up on his throne in heaven helps us to understand who really is in charge. Who really is in control of what is taking place not only in Israel, but around the world. It is also, by the way, one of the reasons why Isaiah, throughout the entire book of Isaiah, gives us these lofty descriptions of God. Like the one in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 22, where it says, It is he that sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. There are others, Isaiah 55 and Isaiah 57, Isaiah 63. But the point of the vision is this. Who really is the king of Israel? Who really is the king of Israel? And sort of to help solidify this perspective, Isaiah and we are given a description of the activity that's taken a place around the throne of God in heaven. And Isaiah writes in verse 2, Above him stood the seraphim, and each had six wings, two that covered his face, and two that covered his feet, and two with which he flew. And one called to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And the other would reverberate and respond, the whole earth is full of his glory. Eugene Peterson wrote this. He said, God is other than we are. Holy is a word that sets something apart. That God is not a projection of our imagination, not wish fulfillment, not a childish fantasy. God is holy. At the same time, the whole earth 
is full of his glory. If holiness describes God as beyond anything we can imagine or approach, then glory describes that which is here, that which is close, that which is evidential. And of course, my mind automatically goes to Jesus where John says that he was full of grace and truth and glory. But like 1 Peter, or rather 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 15, or verse 5 rather, tells us, is sometimes we deliberately forget this reality. And even though we may deliberately forget, it doesn't make it so. And it's here that Isaiah has another profound experience, but this time it's a personal discovery. And the personal discovery is simply this. Isaiah's initial response to the vision are these words, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And in the presence of God, Isaiah becomes consciously aware that he is sinful and that he has sinned and he feels it. This is also why I often say, you and I, we, we cannot fully appreciate the grace of God until I, until you, until we come to the place where we are consciously aware of how sinful I am, of how broken I am, of how undeserving I am, of how unworthy in and of myself I am, until we get to that place where we admit our sinfulness and how sinful we really are, we can't fully appreciate God's grace. By the way, this is also one of the reasons why a lot of people stay away from church. A lot of reason why the people stay away from church is because we don't want to be reminded of our sin. Now, we make other excuses, of course. But the reality is that most people stay away from church because we don't want to be reminded that we're broken and sinful and undeserving and unworthy. But awareness of our sin, awareness of our unworthiness is a part of worship. And Isaiah thought that he was going to die, but he was wrong. Being consciously aware of our sin and our sinfulness is a part of worship, but despair isn't. Despair is not. In this place of worship, in the place of worship, our sin is matched and wiped out by God's forgiveness in Jesus Christ. 
Confession of sin is where our sin is matched. And then Isaiah says, And then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth. Now, have you ever wondered why the mouth? Well, I got wondering about it, and I thought about Jesus' words in Matthew's gospel where he says, It is not what goes into a person's mouth that makes them unclean, but it's what comes out of their mouth that makes them unclean. The tongue, the mouth, the ability to speak is the last frontier in our lives to be tamed. Somebody said, when God gets a hold of our tongues and our mouths, he actually has control of us. Remember the old Esso slogan? I've got a tiger by the tail. God wants us by our tongues. Because when he has our tongues, he has us. But it's also how the mission is to be accomplished. You ever read in the Old Testament that every single major prophet, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Daniel, all four prophets before they ever began profiting had their mouths or their lips touched by God. There's a reason for that. And then Isaiah hears God's voice again, and here we find our connection to Canada Day, or to Canada. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And then I said, Isaiah speaking, Here I am, send me. Now there are a couple of things that is implied here. The first one is this, is that God is at work in the world beyond the place of worship. That our God is at work in the city of Sudbury beyond the Glad Tidings Church. Worship is not just a private relationship with me and God, no matter what the Supreme Court of Canada says. And I've been watching the Supreme Court's decision against Trinity Western University in B.C. and its ruling against their law school. And Ray Jennings has made a great point by the court ruling against the school. The Supreme Court has decided that faith is now banned from Canada's public spaces. And many including the Pentecostal of Saints of Canada, including the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada, and many other organizations and groups are concerned that this is just the tip of the sword. That as religious groups, our beliefs and our values are now confined to our own communities and to our places of worship, but in the public square, our beliefs and our causes are banned. Our religious freedoms are now at the mercy of secular interest groups. 
And there is deep concern that further limitations on religious freedoms is just a matter of time. Further, worship is not just about our personal salvation. Worship is not just about my personal salvation or your personal salvation, but that the world and Canada is included. And the second thing that Isaiah's statement says is that we are called to participate in what God is doing in the city of Sudbury. We are called to participate in what God is doing in Canada. We are called to participate in what God is doing around the world. And the question for us this morning is simply this. Will we be God's people and do his bidding? In Sudbury, in Canada, and around the world. Will we be God's people and do his bidding? Will we embrace God's gifts that he has given us and participate in his saving work? This is, in fact, our assignment. This is our mission. Our mission, if we choose to accept it, is not changed. It is to be salt and light in the world. Now, I want you to put your seatbelt on. And I want you to listen to the rest of the text. Because if we're really going to have, if we're really going to honor the integrity of the biblical text, then we can't stop here. We have to read the rest of the text. Our assignment is to understand that God is at work in the city of Sudbury, in Canada, and around the world beyond this place of worship. And the second thing is that you and I, we are called individually and collectively to participate in what God is doing. But we should also know this that it is not a mission that is for the faint of heart. It's a tough assignment. Listen to what Isaiah says. And God says to Isaiah, go and say to this people, now listen to the language. Go and say to this people, keep on hearing but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. What is going on here? You will find in Matthew that Jesus uses these same words. Jesus says in Matthew, he says that for this people's heart have grown dull and their ears have, can barely hear and their eyes have been closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. 
Those words of Jesus and those words of Isaiah come from the Psalms. Psalm 115 and Psalm 135 says the same thing, and this is what it says. It's an indictment against the people of Israel who worship idols. And idols are pieces of wood or stone or metal. They have eyes, but they can't see. They have ears, but they can't hear. And they have mouths, but they cannot speak. And God says, those who worship idols will become like them. Matter of fact, the Romans text is they will be given over. And so if you worship idols that cannot see and cannot hear and cannot speak, you will become like them. You will not be able to hear. You will not be able to speak. You will not be able to understand. You will not be able to see. Because we, what we revere, we end up resembling. What we worship, we become. But at the same time, this is a tough assignment. And we have a tough assignment. Because can I be honest with you? We are selling a product that not many people want in Canada anymore. It's a tough assignment. But I will say this to you. It is not our responsibility to determine success. It is our responsibility to be faithful. We're not going to be judged by how successful we were, even when it comes to the gospel, even when it comes to evangelism, even when it comes to being missional. We're not going to be judged by our success. I'm going to be judged by my faithfulness. And then Isaiah asks a very important and appropriate question. How long, O oh Lord? How long is it going to be that people will, we will speak and they won't be able to hear, we will demonstrate and they won't be able to see, we will talk about it and they won't be able to understand? How long, O oh Lord? How long? And the answer comes back surprisingly. Until cities lie waste without inhabitant, and houses without people, and the land is a desperate waste, and the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land, and though a tenth remain in there, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. In other words, things will get worse yet, Isaiah. Now, obviously, we need to take our text in context. And the context is the historical reality of Israel. This we know, we know biblically, we know historically that this is and was the case for Israel as a nation. We know this, that Isaiah's prophecy actually comes to reality and is coming to reality. But here's another question. But does this have anything to say about other nations? And particularly, 
Does this have anything to say about Canada? Could this text relate to our nation, Canada? Now, most of us know that any list of great places to live in the world, any list that includes any nations that are sought after, Canada is in the top five and most times in the top, sorry, in the top 10 and most times in the top five. We are a rich country. We are blessed with freedom and security and natural resources and a strong economy and health and climate and peace and respect and friendliness. We are a nation sought after by others. She's going to collect them. (laughs) Maybe not. We are a nation, focus in, sought after by others. But we're having some problems. We have some political problems. We have some economic problems. We have some moral problems. We are having some relational uh, problems with our best friends and closest friends south of the border. And we have other problems. So the question, what Isaiah describes for Israel Can it be the case for Canada? Let's hope not. Let's hope not. But we know, we know, as I said already, that this did happen in Israel, desolation and devastation. And we know from the Bible, and we know from history, that God has judged whole nations. But Canada... No one knows that. No one knows. There's lots of people that got all these prophecies and all these things to say about it, but nobody really knows. I don't know. Nobody knows. And we for sure hope not. But I love Isaiah, and this is why he's called the evangel of the Old Testament. This is why Isaiah, the book, is called the Old Testament Gospel. Because of six words right at the end of a very difficult text. And verse 13, the last six words says, the holy seed is its stump. Now when we talk about the holy seed being its stump, it is talking about none other than Jesus Christ. Israel's history will bear out Isaiah's prophecy. Then in its darkest time, in its most desperate darkness, hope will arise. Isaiah chapter 9, we hear it at Christmas. And the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. It's Christmas In July, Isaiah said these words, And there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, who, by the way, Jesse is the father of King David. King David is the great-great-grandfather of Jesus Christ. And a branch 
From his roots shall bear fruit, and in that day the root of Jesse, Jesus Christ, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples. Of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. The answer for Israel, the answer for Canada, the answer for you and me, the answer for the world has only always been the answer. The answer for Israel, the answer for Canada, the answer for you and me, the answer for the world is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. And somebody said this, and with this I'm finished. The only problem is this that most Christians don't take the solution serious enough. Most Christians do not take the solution serious enough. But the answer and the solution is Jesus Christ. And we get to celebrate today via communion. I want to pray for you. I'm going to invite the uh, ushers to come and we're going to celebrate communion together. Father, Isaiah's text starts out with such glory and wonder and beauty and majesty, and it is overwhelming. It is overpowering. But then it gets very dark and very concerning and very dismal. But at the end, at the end, it says that even when things are struck down, even when things are desolate, even when things are desperate, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. And Father, I think today not just about nations, I think not just about Sudbury, I think not just about Israel, but I think of the people in this congregation, I think of the people watching online, and they've experienced the darkness and the devastation, not necessarily of your judgment, but of choices that family members and they themselves may have made. Lord, you too can rise with healing in your wings in our lives as individuals as well. And so we ask now, as we share communion together, we ask, Father, that by the Holy Spirit that you will make Jesus real to us, that you would heal us. And Lord, on this Canada Day that we might understand that there is hope, there is light, and his name is Jesus. And in his name, we ask these mercies. Amen.